I'd like to thank this episode's sponsor, who helped make these episodes possible. LAWD, specialists in agribusiness valuations and transactions. You can find out more and view all their listings of rural properties at www.lawd.com.au. That that's who I wanted to be when, when people thought of my name. They thought of my name in, in connection to um, having having a legacy in, in ag. And, um, I don't know, preserve, preserving, preserving what we had as a family for the next person or the next generation to leave it better than what, what we found it. And so, so you mentioned around there of it, it was when people thought of you, you wanted them to think of you as having a legacy in agriculture. Do you, I suppose, yeah, as of today, what would you say your, your why is around being involved, getting out of bed, carrying on this tradition that's been going for seven generations? I do it because I love it, Ali. I love being able to create a positive impact on the things that I have an opportunity to touch. And and by that I mean, you know, you can choose to take cattle out of out of a paddock, for instance, and you've got a positive you've had a positive impact on the soil and the grass and the uh, ecosystem there. You can take a young person out of the city and give them an opportunity in the bush and have a positive impact on their life. You know, um, you can provide a space for people to come and see uh, just how amazing this country is and how we can work with it. That that's my that's why I get out of bed in the morning. I, I, I truly just love what I do. It's um an insp- incredibly special connection to have a- and a purpose that is driving you. Yeah. Yeah. It, it took us a long time to get there, though. Oh, I know. Well, we're only halfway through the recovery, aren't we? <laughs> <laughs> well, that, this, this is true. And, it, and I guess sort of um, probably it, it, it's um, – I guess it, at that point I, you know, I stopped being an employee of, I cattle current me and I started being a partner in a family business and um, I decided that in order to to truly focus on the thing that that I wanted I was going to have to to give up some things and so I packed my horses and my gooseneck up and I went down for one last run of shows um, down south and um, while I was down there I went and saw a, a surgeon in Brisbane I I still couldn't walk very well um, and I had had some bad pains, bad, quite bad pain in the legs. And I went down and I saw a surgeon down there and he looked at my x-rays and very calmly told me that um, because of all the atrophy and the osteoperiitis that the sesamoids in my foot had shattered um, and that no amount of cast or time off was going to fix them, they needed to rebuild my foot. And after, you know, two years and two surgeries, that was confronting. And so I, I guess, listened to what he said and hobbled out of the, that 
um, set of offices and considered all my options and I sold my horses and I sold some of my horses and I headed home and sold my gooseneck and truck and um, got my crutches back out to try and get the weight off it and then and booked a plane to, to get back down for a third surgery and and it's really interesting, you know, um, in those weeks leading up to that, it, the first couple of times that it that it really got broken, it it got broken, and I had to go in. This this third one was almost a choice, if you like. I could ex- accept it the way that it was and be hard to get along with and in pain um, in the foreseeable future, or I could do something about it. And I was in at the local sale yards, and I ran into a mentor and a friend of mine and he looked at me and looked at the crutches and said, oh, what have you done this time? And if he ever hears this, I hope he smiles. Cause I said, oh, I said, it's broken again, but don't worry. I'll learn something out of this. And if only I had known how true that would be. Um, so I, uh, the irony is I, w- I walked into the Wesley Hospital on the 13th of October 2016 and I came back out with a um, leg that had, had been cut up and shifted so that my foot now stood under, under what was essentially crooked, some crooked bones and commenced rehab for the third time. And, and probably the difference was that time is we were ready. We, and by we, I mean my and Pooker, I mean my parents and my friends, and um, we talked about what was going to go into the process and, and we all knew what going back on morphine meant and we all knew what, what it would mean if I stood on it crooked, like stood on it before it was healed this time that, you know, she was over at Rover. And um, and so I moved into Townsville in the mum and dad's apartment. They came back to manage the station so that I could have the time that I needed to heal. And um, I am so lucky with my friends. But I had two mates that were quite into triathlon and um, they uh, used to come and check on me and, through the course of my physio, um, it was suggested that I get in in the pool and walk in the pool to try and get some movement back into my ankle and strength into my muscles. And um, you've met me, Ollie, so you know that I'm only five foot two and fifty kilos. <laughs> and um, I could actually only walk the first about six meters in the Tibrook pool before my mouth went underwater. And so the novelty of doing circles at the shallow end wore off after about three and I thought stuff this I'm just going to swim and I haven't swum since high school but I hooked in and it's funny you know all of a sudden after three years of being the girl that uh, had to limp everywhere in that in that water no one could see that I only have one leg that works properly and, and away I went and, and I discovered that actually swimming is quite therapeutic and it, it's good and you can think about it and um and more than anything else, you can concentrate on just what you're doing and nothing else. Um, and so I got into swimming and these, these two mates were incredibly supportive and I'm telling them I'm doing laps at the local pool and, you know, sort of begged them to, to take me, call come swimming or take me to the pool or something. And um, plus they got in socks, they rocked up the apartment one day and uh, pitched me up and we drove down and pulled up at the ocean at the strand in Townsville and I sort of looked at them and said, oh, we're going to the pool and they're like, no, no, open water swimming. And I'm thinking, I'm still on crutches and there's sand and like, I'm good on crutches. But anyway, so next thing I know, I find myself picked up under one arm and my crutches under the other and they carried me down and put me in the water and 
in the nets there and they're like, okay, you know, if you get into trouble, just hang on to the back of the net and we'll come get you, you know, and if you get tired, just pull up and we'll come get you and swim you back in. Like, yeah, okay. And off we went. She's boys. We <laughs> you know, and we swam up and back and up and back and up and back and then I, I pulled up and they're waiting for me and I'm like, no, no, I'm fine. And they're like, no, no, we're finished. And I was like, oh. Anyway, so same thing, then get to the edge and they catch us under one arm, me under the other, and they carry me back to the apartment. One of them sent me a message a bit later that night. He's like, are you, you know, are you a bit muscle sore from that? And I was like, no, I feel fine. And he's like, we'll pick you up again on Monday. <laughs> and um, I just, all of a sudden, I had something that I could do when there were so many things I couldn't do, you know, and um, so much unfinished business in my life. And here was something new, something I could have a go at that I knew absolutely nothing about. And... Um, and I, I sort of I got strong and I got going again and then I got off crutches and I could walk and got back out to Amelia and started to pull the pieces of my life together. And uh, next thing you know, I, I nominate myself for an open water race. I can't triathlon with my friends because I can't run. Um, and I didn't own a bike, but I could swim. So I um, dragged one of these four poor mates down to my very first open water race and I'm standing on the edge of the ocean here with 110 other people about to do something that I had never done before. And Ollie, as we get older, I think, you know, we less and less find things that um, we are willing to do that we haven't done before or that place us outside our comfort zone. And I would have to say that standing on an ocean shore in a pair of swimmers with 110 fit-looking people with one leg half the width of the other, about to try and swim Kukay, was well and truly outside my comfort zone. <laughs> and I loved every minute of it. And can I ask, so when we... Hey, it's Nick here, sheep farmer and Rabobank Regional Client Council member. I'm passionate about supporting our local community so we can improve community wellbeing and build strong local economies. My job as a client council member is to help secure funding for regional grassroots initiatives, those that support education in ag, rural health, sustainability, and help bridge the country-city divide. We've helped organisations like Boys to the Bush, funded school field days like Ag Vision, and held succession planning workshops, just to name a few. If you have an idea to make a difference to regional Australia, go to our website at www dot rabobank.com.au and nominate via our community fund. We'd love to hear from you. And I think there's that that piece around like what you just said of as you get older that you don't get many chances to do things for the first time. But was this where Jill Rigney came into your life uh, as such or what was her role? Because you, you mentioned her, her coming in and it was do something every year to push yourself out of your comfort zone. And was this that time that Jill came along? Yes. Yes. It, it, it's, a, it's cool that you picked that up. Yeah. So I had I had recently met Jill at that point. I attended a, like a, a two-day resilience workshop that she held and um, with my mum. And I just picked up some, some really cool little gems from that and, and started to get this idea, I guess, of educating yourself in the way that you think about things and um, 
So Jill uh, is quite an accomplished cyclist in her own right and um, very fit, but it definitely applies this, you know, pushing yourself outside your comfort zone to learn rule. And um, let me tell you, 2K became three and three became four. And then, you know, by the end of June, I had nominated myself um, with very little encouragement, probably, um, and a little little baiting might have gone into it uh, for the magnetic strand swim, which is an 8K open water swim from a magnetic island back to Townsville. Um, having only been open water swimming in the ocean at this point for two months, um, it's a great, absolutely great idea. Um, and the only place that I had to train at home was in the river and Amelia Downs gets, it gets quite cold in winter, it frosts here. Mm-hmm. Um, so next thing you know, I've got a wetsuit and here I am down at the river, swimming laps up and down the waterhole, um, trying very hard to ignore everyone's crocodile jokes and I'm I'm sure, I've swum a lot of laps in the river, I've never seen one, um, but there are no crocs there. But um, training for this, off. they're not very far away, you are right. <laughs> Um, training for what to me seemed like it just right on the edge of possible. Like it seemed like a long way and we jumped on a ferry and we went over and, and I stood on the shore and I looked back and and thought, yep, no, this will, this will be a long way and I had a lovely girl paddle for me and, and so you, you swim beside a canoe the whole way and I got out probably about halfway into the middle of, middle of the race and I looked up and all I could see was the very top of the uh, Castle Hill and the and I could see the sugarcane conveyor belt at the wharf. And you just all of a sudden you feel very very small when they're the only two things you can see and you're in the ocean. Bloody hell! You know. Um, and I so I swam that race that first year. I completed it and um, I got out of the water and one of those two really good mates who'd been on this journey with me met me at the edge and. Um, he said, "How was that?" And I said, "Oh, it was, it was, you know, it was good. It was good." And whatever. And then he goes, "He said, I don't know that you found what you were looking for out there." And I, said, and I thought about it for a bit, and, um, and I said, uh, "Yeah, yeah, I don't know about that." And he grinned and he said, "Oh, we'll find you a race." And uh, Ollie, did he ever find me a race? <laughs> Can I ask at that stage, were you, were you ever interested in racing other people, or was it just interested in completing it? Racing yourself, proving something to yourself. Um, I'm a very competitive person by nature, um, and up until that point, I'd probably always just competed against myself in terms of um, my success or failure would be all about me. Um, the beautiful thing about open water swimming is that, or I guess adults adult amateur sport in general, triathlon and, and cycling or running, is that you can compete ev- against everybody else and race everyone else for the fun of trying to beat them. And at the end of the day, you really know all you're trying to do is is um, beat yourself. As in go, you know, put a little more effort in than you did last time. Yeah. And, and so it's this beautiful mix of trying to catch the person in front of you and the absolute feeling of elation when you cross the finish line of knowing that you gave it everything that you had. And I think that's the piece for me. And we'll sort of get to how we got there. 
Yeah, like so you go and find a, an even bigger race. Yeah, so um, it turns out that there's this lake in WA that I'd never heard of called Lake Argyle, uh, which is the largest freshwater lake in the southern hemisphere. And um, in their wisdom, some people up there got together at Kununurra and decided that they'd put on a race across it. Um, it's called the Lake Argyle Swim, and it's 20k. And a lot of people... <laughs> it's, she's a pretty big dam. Anyway, it's a long way from one side to the other. And um, and I guess, you know, it was beyond my concept of possible. I, I didn't actually really know what I was signing up for. And I had never found a distance I couldn't swim up to that point. I'd saw my case in one go and that hadn't been a problem. So I was only just beginning to find the edges of what pushing myself looked like. And um, and so I nominated for this thing in, in November, I think. Having not done a full year of open water swimming, I decided that I'm going to no- nominate in November for the 20K swim the following May. Um, so knowing full well that, you know, the 5th of May the year before, I'd never actually swum an open water race. Uh, and then we, me and my mates and I put our heads together and we said, oh, I think you're going to need a coach. <laughs> now, like in my defense, I am not a phenomenal swimmer. I, I'm not actually even passably fast. I am very stubborn. Yeah. Um, and so we embarked on this great quest to swim and it felt like to me it was this just great quest to swim like Argyle and when people have asked why I was doing it, I would smile and say, oh, just to see if I can. And, and still to this day, that was the absolute truth. I didn't swim it for charity. I didn't swim it for breast cancer. I didn't swim it for any beautiful cause other than I, I had a deep need inside of me to see how far I could go and whether I would quit when things got hard. And I think that comes back to that, that unfinished business. You know, I felt like I was just getting some legs under me in Europe and I gave up and came home. And uh, and possibly the same of um, my first relationship there. That when things got really hard, I quit. I I called car for but I had enough. And um, as we as we go on through life, I guess we develop stories about the kind of person that we are. And I I did really wonder whether I was a quitter. Right. Um, and so I set out to find out if I was a spouse. And um, and it was just a beautiful year. I was thirty years of age. Um, and became incredibly fit and the fitter I got, the stronger my leg got, the easier my work became at Amelia Downs. Um, And I guess the more energy I had to put into the things and people that were important, like friends and family. And and I guess when you can lift a lick bag under each arm, you know, that that helps with efficiency too. But um, we got into training for that and I got back in the river here at Amelia. It's about six k's from the house, so you drive down every day and and get in the water. And um, I had this wonderful coach by the name of Graham Pemberton, and he wasn't actually a swimming coach; he was a triathlon coach. Uh, but he is very good at getting people to believe that they can achieve something. And so him, in conjunction with a lady by the name of Kylie Muldoon, who is an open water specialist, they started to set me up for this race. And oh, we did the craziest things. Like I, I swim 
4K one day in a pair of socks and a long T-shirt over the top of my swimmers and, um, you know, and then pulled up and tread water at the end for, for 10 minutes and um, you do everything like be out, out and do a 3K swim, sorry, a three-hour swim and then when you got to the end of three hours, you go and swim another K just to make sure that you could. Huh. And um, this, this just one more lap became just one more K. Um, and we, as we worked our way closer to this race, we increased the distance and we went out for a trial swim and we swam 10K and I got out of the water and I felt great and I thought, oh, yeah, this is a piece of cake. I can do this. If I can swim for three hours, I can swim for six. And so Graham and his wisdom said, well, I think we'd better do 15 before you go up for this swim. And um, so I, you know, that that's the beauty of setting small milestones. And it was in, in preparation for that. Um, that 15K swim was in the triple pool. It's probably the last piece of the puzzle and totally re- irrelevant to this story, Ollie, but I, I was swimming there and I'd been in the water for a fair while and, um, a bit tired and a bit cranky and, and Jill Rigney always talks about that pause you know when you open your mouth and you're about to deliver something as a boss or as a person as a friend that you should always just pause and check anyway and this idiot swims into me in the pool and he missed me by millimetres and give me a big fright and um, I was probably a little bit hungry as you are normally after some 6 or 7k and I stood up at the end of the pool to uh, deliver a, I don't know, I don't know what I was going to say, but it probably wasn't that great. <laughs> and um, <laughs> this poor bloke grins at me with a million-dollar smile and um, I burst into giggles like a 14-year-old girl. And um, that bloke um, became my training partner and my friend um, and more recently my fiancé. And so through the last part of this journey, I had the most unbelievable support crew. And um, so we we got ready to head up to Argyle. And um, at that point, I'd swum 15K. I'd swum no further. I'd given myself a bit of a fright at that point because that had been hard. And, of course, then I'd, I'd sat down and I'd, I'd ask my coaches, you know, am I going to make it? Because you want to know, like, that you can do this, right? Yeah, absolutely. You know what they said, Ollie? I said, I don't know if you can do this. Now, I'd had the best prep in the world, like in terms of support, and I'd done everything that I could, that I knew to do. Yeah. But they were not prepared to go out on a limb and, and say that, that I would get it done. Do you think knowing, it, knowing yourself but them knowing you, that was their way of giving you that courage? It was the... Reverse psychology that you needed, or was it honesty? I think it was just absolute raw honesty. Yeah, right. I, I really do, and um, you yeah, know, I um, I pulled this out for you today because it, it's something that I it's a it's a quote that I don't even know who it's by, but I love it. Um, and it goes: ordinary people believe only in the possible, and extraordinary people visualize not what is possible or probable, but rather what is impossible. And by visualising the impossible, they begin to see it as possible. Wow. And so I went up there with nothing more than 11 months training and a visualisation of the finish line. 
That's all you said. Um, the whole yeah, time. that's where I wanted to go. That I, I wanted to finish it. I wanted to know within myself if I had what it took when my body went under pressure, when everything went under pressure, not to quit. Um, and so my my mum and my grandma, you know, who have both lived on the land their whole life, they flew up and my paddler flew up and we went to Argyle and we hit the water at 8 o'clock on the 5th of May. And um, the first 10K just went amazingly. You know, there were, there were big waves, there were big waves on Argyle. Um, I didn't see any crocodiles and after a while I didn't see any people. People get pretty strung out and um, we turned the 10k boy and we hit a fairly fairly decent crosswind and I was hurting but I was alright and we swam another five and then I looked up and way, way out to the, I suppose it was the east, I can see this yellow boy and my mind flicks back to the race briefing and I'm like, the yellow boy. We're supposed to turn at the yellow boy. We're nowhere near the yellow boy. Anyway, and I, I look up for my paddler in panic, and I'm like the, the yellow boy. And oh, she wouldn't even look at me. Eh? She just, she just said, "We're going this way," and she pointed, and she kept paddling. And like, you just got to go. Like, you can't swim off on your own. And like, I could see where I thought we needed to be, and she said, "We're heading for the green boy," and she pointed. I couldn't even see it. Um, and we'd been blown off course. Um, and we'd been blown off course by enough that I didn't know at the time, but we were, we were at K off course. And um, which adds up over <laughs> nothing like adding a bit of extra distance over twenty k's. Exactly, you know. So we we kept we kept going, and we eventually got to the green boy, and we make the turn. We're coming back along the the wall there at Argyle, and I believe it's only three hundred meters long, but it'd be the longest flame in three hundred meters in the world to me at that point. And um, and I'd reached what, I didn't know, but I'd reached what was 20K. And my body went, you are so done. You you have nothing left. You know, I couldn't keep fluids down. I couldn't keep gel down. And I actually, for the first time in my life, I thought I was going to drown. And um, anyway, I, I stuck my head up out of the water to basically call for the boat and say, I'm done. I like, I've, I've gone as far as I can go. And um, all my friends had put together a playlist and they were, they had sent it up and it was being played over the loudspeakers on the boat at full noise. <laughs> and it's funny what you think when you're under pressure, but my brain being a little bit insecure went, Jesus, what would I tell them? That I was okay from the finish and I got out because I was tired? Nah, stuff that. Um, and so I, I breaststroked and I doggy paddled and I I swam right to the finish of that race. And uh, when I went over the finish line, my paddle actually grabbed me by the swimsuit because she thought I was going to sink. And um, it was the most amazing feeling to discover that um, when you when you think you've given a hundred percent that there's 10% left. And if you can just tap into a little bit of that, you don't know what you can do. And, it, you know, if that finish line had been another 10 strokes, I would have swum another 10 strokes yeah. because that's what it meant to me just to make sure that I could, that I could do what I set out to do mentally. Yeah. You proved it to yourself. 
yeah, and no one else. So you just you're good enough the way you are, and that your best is always good enough because it's your best, whatever that looks like. Um, that piece is re- like it was really interesting. I think the these big challenges and whatnot, but actually just just doing it for yourself and that being the primary motivator. You wanted to see what you're capable of and, and push yourself to your physical, but probably more so mental limits when it comes to that kind of extreme endurance. Uh, yeah. Incredible. No, it was, it, it, look, it was an incredible experience and it, I learned so much from it. And, um, I always, and like I said, I, I, I think back to that conversation, um, at the sale yards that day when I said, don't worry, I'll learn something. And I, I really did learn pieces every step along the way, mostly about myself. And that's um, I really want to ask you that around, so over this period of constant setbacks, of challenges, of adversity, and I don't know, like a resilience is, oh, this is depth, like nearly the definition of resilience, but I feel like in the last 18 months, resilience has just been thrown around way too easily, but... What do you reckon it was inside of you that has kept you moving forward despite all of these setbacks? I think first I wanted to be good enough. For yourself I, or for others? For others. Okay. Um, that I, I wanted to be a good daughter and I wanted to be a good farmer uh, or a good grazier. Uh, and then I think it's it's sort of um, it grows into something just being being enough that um, everyone comes up against their Lake Argyle or their challenges in life and they look different for every person and I think we're, we're really Really great, probably in agony, um, you know. And when you ask someone if they're, you know, how their season's going, they it might be terrible, and they'll tell you, "Oh, it's you know, it's not great." But such and such down the road, he's having a terrible time. So, I've grown up in a culture where it's, um, you know, we're always mindful that someone is probably doing it tougher than you. But the truth is, someone's always doing it tougher than you. Yeah. Um. And it only really gets tough when you let it get tough in your head. Yeah. For sure. So it's um yeah, I I I, I, I agree with your consensus that um resilience is, is thrown around a lot. Um for me that was about personal resilience. About setting your mind to something and just concentrating on that one thing. And and I guess you know there there will be other goals and other dreams and other things to do. And the beauty of that experience is is that I know that if we set a goal and we commit to it now, that I've got the follow through, yeah. enough self belief to have the follow through in whatever form that may look like. And last time we chatted, uh, I. I do want to ask you this because it's it's forward looking. You've obviously yeah you've 
you've got an incredible story of experience that has shaped you into the person you are now. When it comes to life generally, more broadly, so I think we asked the specifics around the impact you want to have of in farming, but in life broadly, what is it you're chasing and what do you want from it? I think we all want to matter. Um, I, my, my grandmother's in her 80s and uh, she was cross-branding her own cattle three weeks ago because she's doing what she's loved, what she absolutely loves. And so when I am sitting in a rocking chair, hopefully somewhere warm in my 80s and I look back on the life that I've lived, Ali, I want it to be extraordinary whatever that may be for me, that I won't die wondering what it would have been like to do something because I've gone and done it. Yeah. Uh, and so I guess in a nutshell, what, what, what do I want life to be? I want it to be extraordinary. Incredible. And it ties nicely to a question which I ask absolutely everyone who comes on and your advice will be very well received, I think. And it's, I suppose, generally looking at agriculture, but life experience, it's you, you've got a room of year 10, year 11, maybe year 12, but no. I like to focus you kind of year 10. I think those mid-teenage years are pretty uh, life-shaping when you've got the world as your oyster, but you kind of don't know where the next turn is. In terms of if, if you had the chance to talk to those kids and either, yeah, talk to them about the opportunities in agriculture, but give them advice more broadly. What advice would you give to a room of people who are age 16? Be brave enough to have a go. That if, you know, if you want to be a fireman and you don't know if you're strong enough or fit enough, you won't know until you have a go. If you want to go and chase cows in the top end, you won't know until you have a go. If you don't know if you're going to be smart enough to be a manager, you won't know until you have a go. So I would just say have a go. Be brave and have a go. It's incredible advice. And I think an incredible way, Jane, to wrap up this podcast with you. It's been a heck of a chat. And I think, yeah, just from the chance encounter that we had at Rocky, uh, as part of the next gen forum, and then I think I would have a phone call with you afterwards. And yeah, your your story is one which is just incredible to hear. So thank you so much for coming on and and sharing. I yeah, I honestly feel incredibly incredibly privileged that uh, you shared it with us. Look, Ollie, Ollie, thanks for listening because I've rambled on for a really long time. And you know, if it if it a story that lets one person be brave enough to try something they weren't going to, then it's time well spent. So with a bit of luck, it'll inspire somebody. And can I say, it's one thing I've learned off sharing a few of these is the people that just look to impact one person that have the kind of biggest impact on, on multiples. So I can't wait to share it. Thank you okay. so much, Jane.
Thursday. Thank you, Ollie.